the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. First question is, what are you afraid of? And the second question is, what are you working for? And you're going to see as it relates to salvation and a relationship with the Lord. So if you will, let's pick it up now in John chapter 6 and verse 22. It says this, The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, remember he's on the west side, they're still on the east side. And the reason it says the other side is because Jesus is on the west side, that makes him on the other side, the east side. They saw that there was no other small boat there. So they're kind of scratching their head. They remember that there was a small boat that was over there when the disciples came over, and now the boat's not there, except there was one, but that was the one that the disciples entered into, not Jesus. So now the boat's gone, the disciples are gone, but where is Jesus? And so something must have happened because a word must have gotten to Tiberias. Now, where is Tiberias? Look back in your mind over at the Sea of Galilee. Remember, they are on the east side. He is on the west side. Tiberias is on the southwest side of the lake. And that was kind of another fishing area as well. So it's not uncommon to have a lot of those boats. And word probably got to the guys that there is a huge crowd on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And being entrepreneurs, we're thinking, I imagine that crowd does not want to have to walk all the way around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Let's send our boats out there and we can maybe charge and bring them back over. So now you're seeing these guys looking for Jesus and they didn't know where they were. Now remember, they're kind of scratching their head because remember seeing the disciples. They saw the disciples get in the boat. Jesus is not there. It's pitch black. Maybe he's up here in the mountain. Now it's morning of the next day. We don't see Jesus. Don't see the boat. Where did Jesus go? He must have evaporated. Had no idea where they were. These other boats show up to take him now to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now pick it up at verse 23 again. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they then they themselves got into the small boats that came over from Tiberias, and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now again, our question for today is, what are you working for? This will make a lot more sense as we open up this package, but for you right now, you might ask the question, what am I working for in order to get into heaven, in order to have an eternal relationship with God? What am I working for? Because we're going to answer that today. So they go over to Capernaum. Now, for some of you, again, that's on the west side. Capernaum is more of a capital city of the region, but more than that, it would be the headquarters of Jesus in northern Israel. Some would also call that his northern hometown. He's a homeboy from, from Capernaum, although that wasn't where he was born. So he really kind of hung out in that particular area, and it was normal to say, well, we know that Jesus would hang out over there, so let's go to Capernaum. Maybe we'll find him there. Now, the question is, is why were they going after Jesus? Why did they want to go see him? They were seeking him. I thought that was interesting because... When you look through this, you'll see where the disciples were in a problem and Jesus walked to them. These people were in a problem and they had to walk to Christ. Maybe it's God's calling you today. 
that you need to be seeking the Lord. It could be that you're listening to me on the radio or maybe on the internet and you've come to a crisis in your life and you're finally saying, you know, no matter how bad it gets right here, my real crisis is where am I going to go when I die? I preach a lot of funerals throughout throughout the year. And towards the end of my message, I bring this to the people. I say, you know, you're here today in honor of the person that you're thinking about who passed. It's a celebration of life. But I also know that many people, when they're now sitting in a funeral, in a memorial service, for the first time, they're thinking about their own mortality. Where will I spend eternity? Where will I go? Well, maybe you're at that point in your life. You've got a bad report from the doctor. Something has gone on. You have a loved one that's struggling. And you're to the point to say, what is it in order for me to go into the afterlife in a place that will be wonderful and glorious? Well, that could be the very thing that they were doing. But I don't think so. I think really what happened here is that these guys were not looking so much for a miracle worker necessarily, but as someone who could provide for them their basic needs of life, they just wanted to eat. Let's see what it says. So they were seeking Jesus. In verse 25, it says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, which means master teacher, when did you get here? In other words, they're still trying to figure it out. We didn't see you get in the boat. We didn't see you walk around. They didn't even have a clue that he walked on the water to get there. So when did you get here? It's only been about 12 hours. How did you get here? And you had to travel so many miles. And I love this about Jesus. It says Jesus answered them, but he really didn't answer them to the question they asked. They asked one question, but he answered it differently. He said, truly is truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs that I've done, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Now, this is a pretty powerful verse as he starts setting this up. You know what he's doing here? He's looking now not so much at what question they're asking, but he's drilling deeper into the motives. He knows that their real motives are different, that they really want to eat something. And they really weren't looking for someone who would be God because through all of his miracles he was performing, he was revealing that he was God, that he was the one who had control of everything and that he was the one who was in charge, large and in charge. The other phrase that's interesting in verse 26, you see the phrase truly, truly? I'll give you a hint. It is found more than 20 times in the Gospel of John alone, truly, truly. In fact, in this chapter, it is found three times. How many of you have been here long enough that occasionally I will say, look up here for a moment, look up here. How many of you have heard me say that? Would you raise your hand? That's um, my way of saying truly, truly. That means everything I say is important, but I really want you to pay attention now. A couple weeks ago, I said how many times you've gone to your kids and you say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And you want to tell them something and you want to make sure they really get it. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing. Rabbi, where you been? And he says, listen, I know why you're here. Look at me right now. I want to teach you something. And you know what's so important right now? We're at the section of scripture that he's saying to you and me right now. Truly, truly, look at me right now. And I really like you to listen for this reason. As I open up this message on salvation is by faith alone, I know that I really have an uphill task. My uphill task with you folks here is not because you believe it or don't believe it. It's because you might believe it and it's become so much in the past that you say, okay, I already know that. Give me something for today. I want something because my finances are messed up. My kids are messed up. My relationships and the job are messed up. And I want to help you with the nasty here and now, but I'm going to tell you that every way that you can be helped now sustainably is going to be built upon that doctrine of salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So you need to know this. You need to own this. It needs to drive you. It is the core value of our faith. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. There is only one God. Salvation is by faith alone. That is a core value. And so today I want you truly, truly, he's saying something very important to you and me. So over here he says this. 
He says, you know, you didn't look for a sign. You just wanted me to feed you with loaves and to be filled. Maybe right now the Lord has become so much of a genie to you that when you get into a problem, you, you just go to him and you want him to solve your momentary temporal issue that you're going through. Will he do that? Yes. Every time his own way, yes. He did it with the disciples. We already saw that. But I want you to know that he is more than just the person who will provide for your every need. Can you say like Job, though you slay me, Lord, yet will I trust in you? Now think about that phrase. Can you, will you say, though you slay me, Lord, yet will I trust in you? The only way you could say that is if your highest core value is that you know that God is so much a part of your life. He is your life in Christ and you can trust him fully with that so that it really doesn't matter how much better this world gets. And in a sense, it doesn't matter so much how worse this world might get because you know that by faith alone, in Christ alone, you do have another world which will be with Jesus Christ. And it's that world that will give you the ability to walk through this world with a sense of contentment and joy and the ability to reach out to those other people who do not have that same hope, who really only want to do is to control what happens to make this world a better place, only then to die and spend eternity separated from a very loving, altogether wonderful Savior. And that's why this is so very important. I thought this would be interesting for some of you in the Greek. It says, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, when you read that in the Greek, it sounds like, you know, I fed you, you know, a little rolled up, you know, bun, maybe a little cake I gave you here, a little bread cake, and you were filled. That's what it looks like. But in the Greek, it's a little bit different. You know what it says here? When I fed you because you ate so full, you were almost exploding. You ate so much like an animal would stuff themselves like a stuffed pig. And you loved the fact that you had as much as you could eat of the loaves and you were completely full. Have you ever eaten that much? That's what these guys did. When we adopted our boys, our youngest boy was seven when we got him. By the time he was 10, I was pastoring in uh, San Antonio, Texas at the time. And our our boy was um, invited out to, to lunch by one of our church people, like you often might do with some of the pastors and if their kids are here. Hey, would you like to go to lunch? We're family going. So they took little Joey. He came up and said, Dad, can I go to lunch with him? We said, sure. They took him to a Mexican restaurant because they like Mexican food. Everything was fine. He was dropped off, and I thanked the dad for doing this. I said, how did Joe do at lunch? Oh, he was very well behaved. He was very grateful. He showed a real spirit of humility. He did like to eat, though. He had nine burritos. Now, that was okay. Our boy was growing, and when he comes and you meet him someday, and I hope it'll be soon, you'll see. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big guy, you know, and he was growing. You could tell, look at his feet, you know, big feet, big guy. No big problem. Well, now on Sunday night, Carol and I were in bed, and generally before we go to sleep, we'll read to each other, and then we'll have a word of prayer. We'll kind of shut the lights out. I'm just falling asleep, and I hear, <laughs> and I'm like, what is that noise? They're not banging on our door. Joe had jumped out of bed, and I'm hearing him run down the hall to the bathroom, and the door slams. And so I knew something was wrong. And so my wife and I looked at each other and she said, do you want me to take care of this? I said, no, I think this is going to be a dad job. So I went into the bathroom and folks, I'm sorry this is here on Sunday morning, but I have to tell you, it was a mess. Finally, after trying to get as much clean as we possibly could, it was wall, ceiling, commode, everywhere, just everywhere. And uh, it took me 40 minutes or so to kind of calm him down, get him cleaned up, clean, get him back into bed. So I finally crawl into bed, and my wife leans over and says, well, tell me, how was it? I, I said, well, sweetheart, I can only tell you one thing. When Joe got into the bathroom, he just exploded. And he just, it just exploded. 
Well, I'm going to tell you that's a little bit similar here, that God provided so much for them that they wanted to almost explode with what they had. And Jesus is now building a case because he wants them to know, yeah, well, I will take care of your food when you really need. But so many of you are working for the temporal things when he says, I want to speak to the spiritual things that are in your life. And so for us, I know intellectually, you know that we really should go after the spiritual things. We know that's a priority. We know it's number one. I know you're there. and I'm not mocking you there. I want you to know, though, that, that while we realize that, sometimes life gets so busy and the needs are so great and the phone calls and emails and the cries of our family and others are so loud that we want to reach out to them that it's easy for us to drop our eyes for that moment on a Lord who wants so much to take care of us in the spiritual realm that we get immersed in this realm and then we really get jammed up and then all of a sudden, I can't do this anymore. And then it's, oh, I have God. And yes, it doesn't mean abandon all your responsibilities. You're going to see that. But we must keep our perspective on the Lord. Look as it goes a little bit further here. He says, you wanted you know, me to take care of you, but you didn't come for the great sign that I did. And that's who I am. He's revealing that. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 27. Now he says, do not work for the food which perishes. If this is your Bible, it might be helpful for you to know that what is happening here is that it's in a tense that says, do not keep on working. So it's not like I work and then I get back to the Lord again. These people were just driven by a work ethic for the things that would provide for their daily needs. That that was really driving them was this work ethic. So they kept on working for it. As I look at this, I see a contrast in appetites. The first appetite you see in this verse, go back to it again, it says food that perishes. That's a physical appetite, and we know that that's going to perish. Now, Carol and I have had the privilege of ministering in other parts of our country, and every part of that country has unique little things. But one of the things we noticed about this area here, and I think it's because of the tourism on our island, in the newspaper on Sunday, you have a section that's just given to all the restaurants you can eat near Waikiki or on Waikiki. In the middle of the week, we have a, a newspaper called Midweek, and at the back end of that, you have all these restaurants you can eat in Waikiki or near Waikiki. On Friday, you have almost a section that's all the restaurants and places you could eat in Waikiki or on Waikiki in that particular area. H how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you want to have an exercise in trivia, and I almost don't recommend you to waste your time, why don't you count how many restaurants that are there in that one advertisement because we are so given to trying the latest restaurant that's out, the best food that's out, and we kind of think about that. And the Lord says, yes, you got to eat, but make sure that you don't just work for the appetite that'll feed the physical. Our spiritual appetite is different. Go a little bit further in the passage. He says, but for the food, so you do work for it, but for the food which endures to eternal life. And I'll explain what that means. He's now making the contrast between that which endures, which is eternal life, and that which perishes, which is of the earth, of the things that are earthy, the things that are not spiritual, the things that are not eternal. You're going to have an appetite, but he says make sure that the priority of your appetite is going to be one that would be spiritual. Now, that doesn't take rocket scientists to see this in here. So there's two methods of filling this. One way would be my work here. Remember, the whole emphasis is working. He says in verse 27, more than once, you work, work, all right? So the idea is working. That's my effort. But there's also another part here, which is God's effort, which is a gift or grace. Look at the rest of it says, which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, remember he likes referring to himself as that, will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, if there was probably one word in this passage 
that these people missed. It would be the word give. Now that is the key to understand this passage because here he says don't work for this, but he says you want to work for the things that will last forever, which would be talking about eternal life, the spiritual matter. So here he is talking about working. So they missed the whole idea of giving because he also says that you need to be a part of seeing that it is a gift. So that's a word we don't want to miss. Let's go back to the passage it says here. So don't work for the food which perishes, but work for the food that will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. What will he give to you? Eternal life. So you're working for eternal life that he gives to you. Now that sounds like a paradox. Are you hearing that? He says you are to work for eternal life that he says he's going to give to you. That makes no sense. If I have to work for it, then why is he going to give it to me? Because if he gives it to me, it's not something I work for. Work is something I get as a result of me working. It's a, it's a payback thing. A gift is a gift I don't earn. It's a gift. I don't understand that. You'll see that in a moment. Remember, he says, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, you might want to mark that because what he's saying here is, in a minute I'm going to tell you that what you're really working for is the gift, and that gift is me. So the whole emphasis again in this passage and the previous passages is you need to see that Jesus Christ is God and you're going to be looking to me for the gift and you're going to receive the gift from me and the gift is me because I am God. I'm all wrapped up into one. Now, many of you might remember, those of you that are older, do you remember years ago when you would buy something on some items, they would have what is known as the good housekeeping seal of approval. How many remember that? That would tell you that this item was usually safe for the family. It's been tested. You could go ahead and use it. I don't see those on many items today. I haven't seen them on very many at all. In fact, um, maybe another way to say this more current to our culture at this time is you've been watching television, and maybe it's on the radio. I don't listen to a whole lot of radio, but maybe on television, you've seen that there's been a, a political candidate. And after the end of this little advertisement, what does the candidate usually say at the end of that little advertisement about himself? What does he say? I approve this message, right? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's what it is, and I approve this message because who I am. An interesting little anecdote was told to me a couple of weeks ago. One of our men was um, putting his um, daughter to bed like he would do, praying with the daughter, reading. Uh, husbands and wives, moms and dads do that. And it was kind of a sweet thing he was sharing with me. And at the end, he said, it was so neat to hear my daughter pray. And so she prays a beautiful prayer as a girl developing in her prayer life and her walk with God and praying with dad, a very one of those memory moments that you never want to forget. And at the end of it, she said, in Jesus' name, amen. And I fully approve of this prayer before you, God. And that was the end of it, you know. Well, as cute as that might be, when Jesus says, this has the seal of God, I'm approving of this. You know what he's really saying? And this is why I just want to affirm you for being so faithful at coming to church. About four weeks ago, I opened up a passage of scripture where Jesus now is using five witnesses to approve the fact that he himself is God. So one more time, he is reiterating the fact that I am God, and this is the seal, I am God, and I am the one who's been sent by God. I am the gift that you're going to work to get that I'm going to give to you. And I'll explain the work in just a moment. Now, if you want to know what were the five, they were, first of all, he says that Scripture was one of it. The second was John the Baptist. The third was God the Father. The fourth was um, miracles that he did. And the last one was Moses. So again, over and over again, he was proving who he was. Now, he says, it's a gift, but you work for it. What does that mean? Let's go a little bit further here, and you'll see where it says it, and I'll try to unpack it for you. Go to verse 28 now. Therefore they said to him, which is a pretty common 
question. Well, what shall we do now so that we may work the works of God? In other words, if we've got to work for this, what's the work that we need to do so that we can have the food that will endure to eternal life? So now remember, it's a gift, but you work for it. How does that all make sense? Now, Jesus then sets the groundwork in verse 29 by saying this. He responds to them and says, this is the work of God. This is a key verse. This is a a verse you want to underline and know and refer to over and over again. When people say, do you have to work to go to heaven? You can tongue in cheek almost say, yeah, you do have to work to to get to heaven. Do you know what work you have to do? And they're going to come up with Ten Commandments, being water baptized, and a whole list of stuff through their own little uh, tradition, religious tradition, or something they make up themselves. You take them right back to this. And you say, you want to know what the work of God is that you do? The work that you do is that you would believe in him whom he has sent. Now, I want to park on this because I wanted to give you, in your Bibles, if you want to write this down, I'm going to give you a chain reference now. It's not going to be on the screen. It's not on your worship folder outline. I want you to write it down, and I'm going to give it to you in the order that I would like you to have it, and it'll be in a sequential order. So I want to build my case to explain what does it mean to have the work of faith. What is this work of faith? So let's give you number one down here in your outline that is here, then I'll give you the verses. First of all, we need to remember the powerful truth is Belief is not a single act. I need to explain what that means when you write it down. Belief is not a single act. I'm going to contradict that in a moment because I want you to see it in the bigger picture. Some of you are going to say, no, I thought you have to keep on believing. Yes, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So our whole life, as a person who's now going to look to Christ, we look to him in faith, and it's not just, I believe in him today and I quit believing in him tomorrow. It's a continual act of faith in God. So it is a continual process of faith in him. Now, let me clarify that. Some will now take it so far and say, okay, that means that if I stopped believing in him, does that mean I will lose my salvation? The answer to that is absolutely not. Now, here's the parentheses. I do not have time to totally unpack that issue until next week, because I'm going to spend next week's message going over the eternal security of the believer in the issue of believing. But let me come back here. So what do I do? I come to the Lord as a sinner. I know that I'm lost. I know that my good works can't get me to heaven. I look to Christ. I know that Jesus is God. I know that Jesus went to the cross, and when he died there, he took all the sin of all the world of all time on himself. He died. He satisfied the payment for that sin by his death on the cross, a horrible death. And then he rose again from the dead to prove that not only was he God, but he had victory over death, more power over death, victory over Satan, victory over hell, victory over sin. So I'm believing that he is who he claims to be. He proved it by what he did on the cross for me. And it was a finished act when I trust in him. Now here's that one moment of act of faith. I now place my faith in him. Once I place my faith in him, what happens then is that now he with me, I get what is known as regenerated. I am now born again. I now have his Holy Spirit within me. I am now made fully a new creature. Doesn't mean I don't sin any longer, but positionally, I am brand new in him. So once I'm believing in him, I am sealed totally. Now, I keep on believing because Colossians says, through Paul, says that as I received him by faith, so I walk in him. That's why when you read through Scripture, it's going to talk about continuing in your faith, keep on believing, etc., etc. Not so you'd lose your salvation, but because from the beginning to the end, it's impossible to please God without faith. Now, last week, we taught on the whole issue of fear. 
I didn't have time to unpack this, but part of fear is this. When our fear rises, it's because our trust is diminished. The more faith we have, the less we have fear. The more fear we have, the less we have faith. So if I want to deal with my fear factor, I have to deal with my trust factor. Now, how do I get more trust? Well, it's simple. The more times I spend in God's word and believing it to be God's mind on paper and sufficient, then my trust factor rises because while I'm in the word, I have to believe the word. I am now believing that Christ is the Christ of the word and now I'm focusing upon him and my faith factor rises and now I believe, hey, he is God. He is sovereign. Nothing will happen to me apart what either permits or prescribed and it's all for his glory and hopefully for my character development. But none of that is to get me into heaven or to keep me saved. That's something that I do afterwards. Now, some of you might say, what happens if I have a bad hair day and I begin to doubt God? The Lord is very clear on that. While he does want our faith to increase, while he does want us to continue in faith as a believer in Christ, not to stay saved, he does say in 1 Timothy, he says, if we believe not, in other words, as a Christian, I've spoken to believers now, when we have that bad hair day, when we believe not, he says he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. And so what happens at that moment is he says, I know that's the case, but I'm going to keep my promise to you that once you've trusted in me, you have eternal life. Now, this is stuff I'm not going to have time to open up next week, but I wanted you to see that faith to get saved is a one time I'm trusting you, but then it's a continual walk of faith thereafterwards. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 